Well, I am so excited to be back for episode two, which is really hard to believe. And it's hard to believe for a lot of reasons. And then it's also not hard to believe because we know that God has his fingerprints all over this. And I'm just so excited to be here with my good friend, Dr. Lane McDonald, and also brother uh, from the same father, if you will. And uh, if you don't know who we're talking about, that's God. And uh, it's just been such a blessing to unite together in this I Love You period revolution. And I get the privilege today to talk with Lane, hear more of his story, and uh, I'm excited that you get to hear it too. We get to share this with the world. So Lane, if you're cool, man, we're just going to jump right in and I'm going to ask you some questions, but I'm also going to make you uncomfortable at some point in this podcast. I think with that in mind, with this idea of how we are often uncomfortable, you know, we hear that a lot when we're talking about growth and it's uncomfortable. It's the reason why we are so resistant to change, why we will stay in situations often that people look from the outside and say, how in the world did you not see that? You know, how did you not make that change when you, when you look back now and you say, wow, that was a mess, usually from our own doing, how did you not see that? So, you know, in the spirit of uh, making you uncomfortable, let's just jump in and let's just do that from the start. So, you know, when you think about this message of I love you, period, in your own journey, and I'll, I'll think of words like resilience and, and adaptability. And I know that's something you and I have talked a lot about in your career, in your life. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot there and say, tell me and tell the listeners a little bit more of what that means when you share those two words. You know, when if you're talking to the, the younger Lane, he would have said adaptability and resilience had nothing to do with long-term planning. It was all like uh, sprint and rest, sprint and rest, sprint and rest. It had nothing to do with a marathon. Even though there are some life situations that would be like that, um, you know, I, I'm very neurodivergent. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are dealing with neurodivergency. So when I talk about that, I'm talking about everything from schizophrenia to manic depression, to manic anxiety, to dyslexia, to dysgraphia, to speech impediments. It's its just the way we think, the way we operate, the way it comes in, the way it goes out, right? The way we perceive and the way it's translated out. Uh, for me, I'm the youngest of five, one, uh, one brother surviving. I was the last of her attempts to have children because her doctor said, if you had children, you will die. And this is in the 70s when there there wasn't the medical advancements that we had now. And I was a preemie. I stayed in the EQ. I had some burst effects. And, and from there, long term, you know, I had hearing impairments. I couldn't hear. I was legally blind until they had eye surgery. I didn't even get glasses until third grade. I went back in kindergarten and second grade. So right away, I thought I was the dumbest person on earth, especially... When my mom is a teacher at a private school that is three to four grades advanced from public school, and by the time you hit 10th grade, kids are already in college doing college courses. So I was getting C's and D's 
I'd say by fourth grade, I was already labeled a trouble child. I was already going to Sylvan Learning Centers. My parents put every single dime they had into to me to at least keep me in school. And I remember my sixth grade teacher even saying, I don't like you at all. Even if you fail, I have to pass you. And she said that to my face. Now, this is a faith-based private school, right? So I, I grew up wanting to be a preacher, and I became a youth minister. I wanted to help other people because right away I struggled so much. I had a raw skin going into this game. So anybody else that struggled, I went that way. I went into the, oh, crud, I know what you're feeling. Let me help you, right? Whereas I could have been callous. But I also had ADHD, I had dyslexia, I had dysgraphia. I had so many bombs in my early childhood. And when I graduated an A-plus student at a, at a public school, but I'd broken my hip in football because I tried to be something I wasn't with my dad. And I went into theater. You know, growing up in East Tennessee, being a theater student, you can imagine. I was like, oh, there comes that guy. He doesn't hunt, he doesn't fish, he doesn't play football. That's what I grew up with. So I had a really hard time. I moved 47 times. My dad was in the Navy. I, I'm, I'm giving you the backstory of all the stuff compounds upon itself, right? You can see them as individual pulses in your life, individual pieces, but these are the things that shape us. I mean, science says by the time you're six or seven, you've already formed how you see the world, how you would react, you know, how you were raised is how you're going to live your life. And so by six, I mean, I was already in the machine. I'd already been told I'm an idiot, right? Come to know my, my IQ is quite high. I didn't know that at the time. And IQs don't really mean anything if you don't use it, right? So it's all about the processes. And the processes I was in were broken. They wanted a one-size-fits-all. A one they wanted the kids that were going to be lawyers doctors and uh, farming more more teachers to farm their schools, right? This is what they were, and I wasn't going to be any of those at the time. <laughs> I was like, that kid put him in the black room, <laughs> lock the door, he doesn't go here. He's not going to be on the advertisements. Um, so, you know, when I got glasses, I remember crying for the first time because I could actually see the textures I was touching. That's how bad my eyes are. I remember staring outside the window of the car crying all the way home because it was the first time I actually saw leaves. Seasons. This is third grade. And so I was so far behind. You know, by the time I got in third grade, my teachers were like, he doesn't even know what's on the chalkboard. He can't even write. I'm like, I can't see the dang paper. Right? I'm too young. I didn't know I could, like, move down with my nose on the paper and write. But these are the things that shaped me. And so when you talk about resilience, depending on your worldview, depending on your parents, depending on your, your culture, depending on where you live, if I lived in a really generationally depleted, broken, poor community where I would walk to home and have to figure out how to survive for the night, I would have probably ended up totally different. I lived in a middle-class family. My parents had their problems, but they stayed together, and I was never hit. I was never called a name. Uh, my parents put all the money they had into helping me, and they had all the support in the world for my parents. If I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now, Dean. So 
my mom got fired from that school for being a woman and putting a woman on a cross on a painting and putting and chains on her. And so the perceived notion that they fired her over was she was saying that Jesus was a woman. They never asked her what the painting was about. It was about being a woman in the 90s in a situation where she, even her faith family, wouldn't let her speak because she was a woman. This was a great conversation starter. But instead of that, I watched my mom uh, go through a passion of getting beat up verbally, physically. And she said, forget that. I'm getting my, my, my doctorate, and I'll see you later. So we moved to Florida, and that's, uh, that's how she got her doctorate. And if she didn't get her doctorate, I probably wouldn't have mine. So everything starts from childhood. And we can all probably relate to something in this, and we can probably put our own chapter points and fill in the blanks in my own story. And it's helped me understand the grit and the adversity. Adversity never goes away. If you're in on a path and you start running into like trees over the path and you got to climb over them, that's not an obstacle. That's part of the path. So knowing that you're part of the path isn't going to be clear. Your job's to clear the path for others if you're the first one. And if it's an easy path, it's probably because you have a mentor or someone that's been through that path before. But for me, my whole life has been resilience. You know, I, I grew up at a really bad school for my type of neurodiversities. I should have been at like a magnet school, an art school, <laughs> something like that, right? So I was already put in the wrong machine. And if you put the wrong seed in, you get the wrong plant. So I thought I was like supposed to be this but God meant me for this. I started learning that in the public schools. Ironically, they saw that I had some talents where I wasn't really focusing. And I had a film teacher in high school, my senior year, got me into film, and I never looked back. And I went from a D student to a straight A student. I was getting 120 in science. And I'm my my persona, my personality is pushback. So if you talk about resiliency, flight or fight, I'm always going to be the one that's fighting. I'm going to go down with the ship. And so when people told me I couldn't do something, I did it. They said I could never read, I could never memorize, I could not, you know, it was horrible when they call on me to read something in school. It was horrible. But I learned really quick I could memorize a theater script. And so I could memorize the whole script. And I went into my first tryout asking, which, which person do you want me to try out for? And I read every single line. So when I'm, I'm doing job applications, they go, do you have a disability? And they got like dyslexia, dysgraphia on there. I'm like, no, that's not a disability. That's a form of processing, which has its own super abilities. Uh, Asperger's has its super abilities. So I just learned where my super abilities were because I had great coaches. And they taught me how to keep persevering and how to iterate my own life. You know, fail up is one of my favorite sayings because it's so true. Like you said in the last podcast, you learn from your failures. You're not going to succeed until you failed anyway, so why be a perfectionist? That was probably the, the latest thing of mine was being a perfectionist, being too hard on myself and iterating to a point of saying, it's okay. People want the imperfect lane. They don't want the perfect lane. <laughs> there is no such thing. So 
I hope I answered it. I know that was an extremely long answer. I'll try to keep them shorter. No, listen, there's so much in that. And I think for the listeners to hear that story, there's likely, I mean, as I was listening to you, I heard 10 to 15 different takeaways that were impactful to me. I think one of the things that you said was you you said that you have a high IQ and you said something to the effect of, it really doesn't matter if nobody recognizes it and develops it. And I think that's what we alluded to in the last podcast was this idea of what are we doing here? What is I love you period all about? And one of the big things is we talked about unlocking people's identities. And in so much of what you shared and what you shared and what I've seen, you're really speaking to your identity and, and finding that identity for you, it's been through incredible adversity. And I think that resonates with so many people that have been told over and over and over again, again, your version of the billboards. And, and then you have a choice as to whether or not you drive by. And so when you think about like the billboards, for instance, that come up in your life, you've mentioned quite a few and adversity. Tell me a little bit about even now, some of those billboards that pop up for you as you're driving toward this, this road to brilliance. And again, for those of you who haven't looked up Lane yet, Dr. Lane McDonald, like me, you're probably looking and seeing all that God's done in his life and through his life. And you're thinking, how can this guy actually struggle? Um, I see a brilliant person in front of me. And yet, as he's sharing here and being authentic, which is beautiful, he's telling us all these secrets behind the Dr. Lane McDonald that I get to see in front of me now. So tell me a little bit about and tell the listeners a little bit about some of the you know, one or two billboards that as you're driving on what we're going to call this, this road to brilliance of how God's gifted you, what are some of those billboards that either you hold up for yourself or perhaps other people hold up? And, 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 and where are those places that sometimes you park for too long and you should be driving by? Can you share a little bit of that? The doctorate's only a year and a half old. I started the doctorate right after I started at a, a company and the uh, former uh, boss of mine, she was my first mentor. She had a doctorate. She was, um, she came from a lot of hardship and she hired me. This was my third interview at this place. She's the one that hired me because she saw something in me when no one else did. And she sat with me on my mentorship. I mean, this is like a year-long mentorship. So first year, end of it, she's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I can really up the scale of this area, right? And she's like, well, I'm, I'm really disappointed in you. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm, I'm a bleeding heart. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> she's like, you didn't say you wanted my job. I was like, but I'm a right-brained, creative. And she's like, so why not? She's like, have you ever thought of getting your PhD? And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't even start to think about that. The other crud was hard enough. And she's like, and then she threw out administration and management of all things. I'm like, we're, you know, I would, I would have thought you would have had me go into film or something. She's like, no, go in the far left brain, stretch it. I'm like, I can't, why would I do that? And she kept telling me, why not? She's like, until you ask yourself, why not? You're missing the boat. And so those billboards, they go by. One of them would say why and one would say why not. Which one am I stopping at? 
And the why not would say, why not drive past me to the next billboard, right? It's not telling you to stay. It's telling you to go. You know, they, they say high IQ, low EQ. And I've learned that in the last five years is to stretch my EQ, stretch my, you know, emotional intelligence and, and understanding me, right? How do I show up? And how do I meet people halfway? Because people need a certain you in a certain time, right? Everybody's relationship's different with you. So the other billboard I would say is be yourself. Be confidently you without being arrogant. All right? I think there's totally two different ways of doing it. I'm, I'm telling you about billboards in my life that kind of helped me get out of the shell, right? So I wouldn't even go to confidently, you know, me because I knew stuff. I knew how to do things well. But if I show up, just tell people how to do it, kind of comes off as a double-eyed sword, right? People were perceive that as being very selfish, egotistical, maniacal leader. And that's not what I was trying to do. I was just like horse blinders on. Let's go. So I kind of learned to take the horse blinders off and have relationships instead of just getting stuff done. You you just you just talked about billboards, and while you didn't necessarily answer the question I was asking because I had an expectation, you actually did something that again just mirrors what we're talking about here. You talked about, you know, I tend to you know. Look at me, I'm focusing on the negative billboards. That probably says a lot about me. But but you focused on some very positive billboards. And you also hit on something that I've I've watched you do for me. I've watched you and, and know you've done for so many others. And you've held up, kind of gives me a funny image, you holding up a billboard or a sign. But you've held those signs up for other people. So where I was kind of thinking of negative billboards that I drive past, you've really done a good job of hitting on something that we ought to be doing. And I think you've done well and kind of would love to hear you talk a little bit more about how you've done that for other people and kind of some examples of how you've held up positive signs and billboards for other people. Yeah, let's go deeper on that, right? I used to hold up negative billboards and stare at them and go buy them. The problem with negative billboards for me personally is that you're setting your mind up with negative images instead of pouring in positive images. You are what you eat, right? And that could be food and that could be images, that could be auditory. So I play nothing but Christian music in my car. Um, I love the 60s, the 70s, I love the hard rock from the 90s, but when my kid's in the car and to be totally safe, I put Christian music on. And so it kind of transformed my life to where I only listen to Christian music now. Not because I don't like the other stuff, but there's stuff in it that resonates in my mind and rattles around like a ping pong ball, right? Can't get no satisfaction. Love that song. I love the Rolling Stones. I think they're one of the greatest. Some of my bosses were from the Eagles and the Beatles. I worked with some of the greatest artists in American history. And so, you know, all this really started when I met Miranda, which is is my beautiful godsend of a wife. Uh, you and I have a similar background. We both are divorced. Um, she had a child. It wasn't mine. I wanted to adopt. I couldn't. And that marriage was filled with a lot of negativity. 
we didn't listen to Christian music. We didn't watch Christian videos. We didn't, you know, we went to church once a month and she just had a lot of stuff going on. I was in a really low place, got up to 300 pounds. I mean, I went from a quarterback to 300 pounds and then back down. And uh, when I met Miranda, I dropped down to 180 and her smile, her constant positivity. Uh, she, it, funny thing, she's a reading specialist. She says, I'm the worst dysgraphic dyslexia person she's ever met, right? With a smile. And she constantly helps me with that. Uh, so God helped me marry <laughs> literally the piece of me that's missing. But she was huge in church when, when I used to be, and I lost myself and the le legalities of it all and the politics of it all. Being a youth minister at four churches, I kind of got jaded a little bit. She showed me all the good and that I should focus on the good. So right away, I quit watching horror films. Um, can't even watch a scary, suspenseful film anymore. I mean, why do you want that to be entertaining to you? And it really is, a, you know, in this podcast, it's no judgment here, right? It's a sacred place, and we're, we're saying where we came from, and there's no judgment for anybody that listens to anything. I love putting on a crazy train for my son. I love putting all the princess music from Disney on, and my daughter's in the back, you know, roll the windows down. She's got long blonde hair. She's, like, just rocking out with funny Disney film stuff, <laughs> and she's like, put on a crazy train. And she's like five. I'm like, okay. So I mean, we're driving down the road with the windows down, playing Crazy Train. But it's it's the root and the core of our family to plant seeds of positivity anywhere we can. I believe all good things come from God. So it's not going to be just Christian elements, but it's going to be positive stuff. It's funny because we, Lane and I talked a little bit about this before we recorded, and and it's I had the same conversation with my wife, my godsend of a wife as well, Alexandria, a.k.a. Lulu, to the world. And we talked about this idea that we both looked at each other. We were talking about the music we listen to and, and the things we watch and the people we hang around and really all these kind of outside, I'm going to screw this word up, but stimuli, I think, or stimulus. And, and we both were talking about how God has really changed that in our hearts, the things that we put into our minds, things we listen to, things we watch, people that we associate with, the voices that are we allow to be in our heads, some of which you know we can't control, but of those areas that we, we have more control. And we talked about this. We grew up in, in kind of more what I would call a very legalistic religion kind of based environment that is all about, we talked about this in the last podcast, having this image that I think I said at that time, you know, we all have this image that we would try to uphold, but we all knew that nobody was doing it. And, you know, we might say, yes, we all, oh, we just listen to worship music and we only watch G rated films. And the truth is we would just hide more and listen to rock music and, you know, go to the theater. And I grew up in a very, very strict religious uh, background, but we make choices now that actually look the same. On the outside, they look the same. And so part of me kind of just wanted to push against the system and say, I've got Christian liberty. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. And then kind of shifting back over to something more realistic, and I think ultimately what God is calling us to do is for each of us individually, for me, for Lulu, we've made decisions to change what we put into our minds, what we put into our hearts, 
none of that is based on looking at somebody else in judgment and saying, well, you, you can't do that because I don't do that. But it's all about if we really want to experience this promise, this, this relationship, this journey with God, we make decisions that are just, they're different because we want more of that. So I love that you talked about the things that you put into your mind and into your heart. And um, again, I'll be clear, this is not pointing the fingers at anybody else and saying, well, because I don't do this, you know, you shouldn't do it. This is all about making choices because we want to experience something more. And I think that's the big piece that I see in the world today is we're pursuing all these different things. And I did it. I shared that in my story on the last podcast. I ran after all these things because I didn't believe that God's way, God's promises were really true. Because if I did, I wouldn't be doing it. So the fact that you're talking about that just really resonates with me. And I'm guessing resonates with a lot of people. They're saying, like, I want more. I don't want people to think I'm some churchy religious person. It's just an interesting, an interesting thought. You know, getting back to the billboards, one of them would be positive music. One of them would be positive films. We use, I'll, I'll give props to anything. I hope I hope they become sponsors of the podcast. I absolutely love these people. It's VidAngel. Anybody that knows the history of VidAngel, there was a huge lawsuit in the 90s because they were editing DVDs to be clean for families. And under, you know, copyright laws, you can't do that. So they had a huge legality issue. Well, anyway, this became a DVD player that would just edit out those time codes. And now it's a streaming service that loops into Netflix, to Amazon, to to all sorts of platforms. So I was able to watch a PG, a hard PG version of Jurassic Park with my son. And um, it was interesting. It's kind of funny when they take, because they pause out the curse words and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it kind of gives kind of, uh, my son always looks at me and goes, oh my gosh, that guy was really mad. He shouldn't have said that, you know? But uh, also, you know, you, you get a different perspective on films with kids when there's not all the gore and the, the horror and all that. Because he looked at me at one point, he's like, man, those kids and the grandpa are really sad, aren't they? He focused on the relationship between the family during that time. He's like, aren't the dinosaurs doing stuff like, a you know, internally like the family? I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to pause this and have a conversation. But I mean, that's the kind of stuff. I mean, these... This is all, and you know, these billboards are, and all these billboards are to get closer to your true self, to what you were created to be, um, and to get closer to family, to get closer to God, to get closer to your emotions. You know, I was raised, you know, in the South, men aren't supposed to cry or show emotion, right? And it's just like, well, yeah, you are, because that all gets pent up. I'll tell you this, after all these positive, imagine the effect that you have every single day driving to work, driving home with negative billboards or products you just don't need, useless junk in your life. Now imagine a reality where you're driving to work and driving home with positive quotes or services for drug addicts and, and gambling and helping people to get off of stuff or show a family that's loving, uh, spend some time with your family tonight, right? Eat with your family tonight. You know, it's not drive slower, you're going to die kind of signs, right? It's a buckle, click it or ticket, right? I'd, I'd rather say, look, look up and know you are loved. Imagine the difference. And that's why I focus on positive billboards instead of negative. 
Well, you you hit on it. We we if we start to think, I think part of the the issue with um, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, and and maybe this resonates with you, Lane, and and other people. When I think of like family relationships and friend relationships, people that are special to me, I want to make decisions to protect that relationship, to nurture, use that word, nurture that relationship. I do certain things because those are important to me. I don't do certain things because those are important to me. When I think about version 1.0 that I shared last time, I wasn't doing that, first of all, because I didn't care enough about myself. And you talked about that as well. I didn't care enough about myself. But more than anything, I felt distant from God. I didn't equate any sort of like relationship with God. And now as I've begun to see that, it's like, wow, you really care that much. You're willing to go to any lengths to redeem me. That is a relationship that's worth nurturing. And just like my human relationships, things we do for our kids to protect them, to love them, to insulate our relationship, I now feel that way about, about God. And I think that's really, if I had to nail it down to one idea of why do I do things that I do now? Why do I not do certain things? It's because I'm understanding that he wants this relationship. And in order to nurture that relationship, I'm going to make choices just like I do with Lulu, just like I do with my kids, just like I do with my friends. That's a totally different motivation. It's not fear-based. It's wanting to, we've all been in relationships that are fear-based. I didn't perform well. They're not going to like me. I don't do this. They're not going to tell me they love me. That's not what God's doing here. He's inviting us into this thing. And because of his love, because of the I love you period love, that's why we choose to do or not do certain things. I, I want to make a few points here with on top of what you just said, because I was making some notes. We know more about how to operate a car or to fix an appliance or to fix something that we love. We know we can take an iPhone to get repaired. We know we can take our car to get repaired. And they do things to the car that it needs. It needs oil, needs air in the tires, it needs basic stuff, spark plugs. But we don't do that to ourselves. People don't know how to operate themselves. There's no, there's no advertisement out there, right? For me, for me personally, for my family, church is our uh, Valvoline oil stop. A men's group that I go to is an oil stop. Uh, a mentor that I have is an oil stop. I, I, I'll tell you this: there's so much positivity. I'm putting in my life, I got off my antidepressants about a month ago. And my wife helped me through the detox because there is a detox. I got put on it when I was in high school, middle school, middle school uh, for my parents. And I've been on it this whole time. And, you know, I feel more. And putting positivity in my life when buildings are falling down around me in my mind and having a hand, a love, a, the love of my life, put her hand on my shoulder and say, it's not real, right? Reading the Bible, you know, and hearing God's word say, it's not real. This is real. I love you, period. It's so true. Those words you tattooed on your wrist are words that people need to tattoo on their hearts. And because of that, because of the positivity I put in my life, I got a PhD. I'm halfway through my second one of all things. You know how many people tell me, why get another one? You know the answer? The billboard. Why not? Some people need it. 
Some people need the medicine. I'm not telling you to get off your medicine. <laughs> Ask your physician for all things health-wise. But for me personally, I didn't think I could, but I put physical things in my way, positive things. That's why I'm so active on social media, because I read all the positive quotes out there and I share them, and then I write something. But we've got cars, devices. Our body operates on love languages. And when I say love, I mean all four letters capitalized. God language. My love language is affirmation in gifts. I love gifts. My wife's is time and touch and affirmation. My kids, my girl, hers is touch and time and affirmation. I love those, those three are pretty big in the human element of things. Uh, but here, here's the thing. What if companies operated like that? What if every day you walked in and they had profiled you for your love languages and that's how they communicate? Not through an email, not through a chat, not through, you got to get this done. You screwed that up, right? <laughs> no. What if it was just love languages? Just imagine how the world would operate. And if families operated with love languages, just love languages, how would it change? The whole goal of a human, we're built to find God. There's a movie back in the day called AI, and I love that because the, the character, the kid, the robot, the whole film is about him searching for his maker, and that is what we are. We are searching for something greater, and there's never going to be that hole that is filled until you find the truest of love that says, I don't care what you did. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you're going to do in the future. I am above time above everything. Listen to me. There's something more to life than what you're doing. And this is it. And you said it. And you tattooed it. I love you, period. The buck stops there. And if you can feel that in your own heart and live it and truly believe it and accept it, then you can share it to other people. You cannot share stuff to other people you do not believe. So there's a lot of hurt out there. There's more than 50% of people are getting divorced these days. There's more kids in adoption in foster care than ever before. There's a lot of hurt out there. So what, the, what does that tell me? That tells me that people don't believe or have accepted that they are forgiven, that they can change, that they are literally the vehicle of a better life for others. And people think... Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. But what if people knew you for what you did love and you did do and you did accept, right? Don't be like that. But I'm hanging out with them. Those are my best friends, right? So, you know, those billboards, and you could start with the billboards. Take things out of your life. It's easy. You ain't a plant. You don't have roots. You can step over and move somewhere else. You're blessed to be a human being. And for people in America, we are so blessed. You can say what you want, think what you want, believe what you want, and have the freedom to find God in your own time and in your own way. And that is a blessing. That's great. And and I want to thank you for being willing to share your story with you know, depression, anxiety, uh, with, with the medication. And that's a huge step. And I know that resonates with a lot of people. And like you know, Lane said, we are certainly not not physicians and not uh, asking people to get off their medications. And but I, I do know that in my own life, and I've 
had my share of experiences with being diagnosed with some of those things, depression being one of those at, at times. And, you know, one of the things that I heard when I was going through one of those periods of my life years ago, uh, specifically where I did take some medication, was this idea when I was talking with a therapist and he said to me, Dean, I'm not telling you that you don't need the medication, that this may not help you, but I do want to get to the idea and kind of the root underneath of all this that is where, where do you have this lost hope? He said in his 25 years experience, he's found that most people that come in and, and talk about depression in order to, to find the, the, the rescue, the, you know, uh, from that, it's gotta be, you know, what, where, where do you have this sense of hopelessness? And so I don't know if that resonates with you, the listener resonates with you, Lane, but I want to dive into something that um, you've shared with me and I think would be really impactful for the listeners. I want you to share uh, the story of your your daughter. Her name was Lydia Grace. Beautiful girl. Um, happiest and the saddest day of my life was taking my wife to the hospital to see her for the first time on an ultrasound. Our son was three and a half or four at that time. I had a bunch of family come in, my, my, my family, and they were waiting in the waiting room, and we were so excited to find out it's a girl. We were very happy, and the doctors were not. And it was a really, really quiet room as they kept uh, the ultrasound on, um, on her belly and kept rolling it around, looking at things, talking, going out of the room. And they said, come back in about three days, the longest three days of our lives. And we came back and they said, your daughter has anencephaly. Uh, her skull has not fully formed. Her brain is open in the, in, in the womb and she's going to be brain dead and she's not going to know you and she's not going to survive to birth. Um, so you have a few options. And this is a Baptist hospital. They sent us up to another person who was probably obviously not Baptist. And he said, you know, in Tennessee, we can't do any of this, but you can go over to Arkansas and uh, get rid of the situation. That's how they framed it. And I stood up and physically pushed the doctor out of the room. And got with my uh, wife, and we prayed, and we asked, what would we do? And we said, we're going to carry her to term. Because she was kicking like crazy. She had, like, she had cravings. She loved listening to, we would sing Jesus Loves Me every night, over and over again. And she would kick when we sang it, on cue, <laughs> every time. And those were the hardest months of our lives. Um, it was it was tough. My wife was bedridden most of the time. Um, she would she had cravings. We'd go out to Indian food like crazy. And every time we spoke about Lydia, uh, we had to talk about Jesus. Um, it even got to the point where we went to a certain you know, magical world, you know, down in Florida. And it was, we we would always go on 
Whitson's birthday, and because it was in September, we didn't think Lydia would survive until December 8th, which was her birthday. Well, we're going to have a birthday at somewhere in Florida for both kids. And we told the travel agent who was on location, worked for that company, and we told the story, and they said, they, they literally told us, you know, we're really taken back by the situation. We're, we believe in your your choice as parents to love your child, and we're going to upgrade you to one of the best rooms. And since it's their birthdays, get ready for a surprise when you walk into your room. So we walked into the room, and uh, and there were there were birthday cakes for both kids, outfits for both kids, stuffies for both kids, hats for both kids, shirt. They actually gave my wife a shirt that said. Uh, princess on board she got a free um electrical scooter she brought almost ran over everybody at, in that theme park and we stayed in probably the most accessible place i've ever seen where everything was just five minutes away um and it was incredible we'd spend a whole week so the whole week we'd walk into places and they say oh mr mcdonald Mrs. McDonald, Whitson, Liddy, uh, please sit down. And, they, and it was it was like that for everywhere we went. But I was in talks, and I would talk to people about the situation, and they would say, you know what? I had a similar situation. I didn't go all the way through because they said our baby wouldn't survive. And I would hug him, and we would cry. Then we'd have deep conversations. People would say, hey, I had a problem with my mom or I lost a sibling. They just opened up. And she came early. So the, December 8th was her original birthday. Catholics know it as the day of Immaculate Conception for Mary. She came November 3rd crawled over the doctors right out of the womb to get to me. She laughed. She smiled. We sang, I love you. Jesus loves me, this I know. Every night. Almost every hour on the hour until she passed. And what you don't know is the hospital that we were in was not set up for the situation that we were in. They were not set up for what happens next. So I had to go out and buy a coffin. Hadn't slept in three, four days. We had to give her a final bath. I had to, we had to say goodbye. She got put in cold storage. And when I got the coffin and my uncle came all the way from Cookville to pick her up, we went down there. And they brought out the coffin, and I cried over it. And then they said, I'm sorry, she's not in there. You have to put her in. So I did. And I kissed her, and I prayed over her. And now she went. Now she went to Cookville, my uncle. My uncle, before that, had the same issue with his oldest son. Uh, Joseph is his name. He was Whitson's age. Uh, they were pregnant at the same time as our oldest bro uh, kid, son. He had anencephaly, and I called him 
throughout this process, a mentor, right? A coach, someone that had been through the exact same thing that we were going through. We were, I was on my way back. We were on our way back from the funeral. And uh, my cousin uh, called me and said, I have to tell you, I am very envious of you. And it was, it was a buck kind of stopped. You could hear the pit. I'm like, why would you be envious of me? We went through the same thing. He's like, no. We didn't get to spend days with our son. You got to hold and sing and laugh. I, I wrote a journal during that time, and it's on Amazon. And it's my, it's my, it's my, it's my cry to God through the whole thing. And this little girl that keeps creeping in here with popcorn in her mouth was born on December 8th, a year later. And I got that call. My wife and I became foster foster care parents to adopt in Tennessee. You have to be willing to adopt if you're a foster parent. So this little tyke over here is a gift from Liddy. We had a, a saying above her bed saying, you are blessed. And that stayed over Kinsley's bed for three years but here's 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 the part and this is how it shook me and changed me there was a paradigm shift that happens when you're a parent the first time you see your first child you you know this dean as a as a man it's step up time right you you have that moment with god where you're like i am the protector i am the father this is my kid i now understand god's love for me Right, it, there's a paradigm shift. There's a uh, a rabbit hole and a rabbit hole and a rabbit hole that happens. She's rocking out right now. I don't know if you can hear the music. <laughs> Perfect timing, Kay. Perfect timing. So, uh, Liddy was a paradigm shift from my first son to understand that there is there's unattainable, unamountable, unscalable, unmeasurable, uncountable love for your kid. And when there is no hope, you know, that thing that you cannot measure still grows. And you can't measure it, it still grows. And <laughs> go play. Close all the doors. Stay quiet, okay? I <laughs> love you. Um, that, and you can't explain the vastness. It's like the vastness of space constantly growing and you don't understand the infinity still becoming bigger, it's what happens for us when we have a child that is lost. And it's only by the grace of God that she lives, or he lives, and they don't. And then you got to ask, why? I read a lot on Job, and that answer at the end from God, that's not a feel-good answer. That's a understand I know more than you and there's something else going on. And you're like, all my children died. You took everything away from me. My wife, I mean, I've done all this for you. I've been faithful to you. And it's like, who are you? Do you know how the waves work? Do you know how the sun goes up and down? Were you there when I created the planets? It's that moment where you realize that this was not for us only, that it was to give away. And to constantly be that icon of a parent that said yes to hopelessness, 
to the impending death of their child because I loved her, period. So we became foster parents because now you've got kids with no love, have not been shown love, and all the hope in the world. They could be doctors. They could save the planet. They could find cures. They could be the most incredible preacher. They could be the most incredible teacher. They could be everything, but because their parents were hurt, and probably their parents and their parents were hurt, the circular sin of the father has triculated to the point where they're being let go in foster care, being put in their own apartment, being able, you know, do your own thing, you've aged out of the system, or a little kid that just hopes for a mom and dad. And that's when we were like, that's what God wanted us to do through this. And I'm going to tell people that are listening, look, everybody has that moment that they don't think they're going to survive through. To know that there is a God bigger than that will keep you sane. To know that there is nothing new under the sun. Someone else has gone through it. They survived, and you will too. And to let the children of God the people that understand the love of God hold you up in that time. And yes, you might go searching for them. I did. I did, and I've been in church my whole life. I can't imagine people that go through stuff and not believe that there is something out there greater than themselves. But that is the story of Liddy. And I did that because I was raised to believe that there is something bigger, that love trumps all. Doctors can't keep everything in check all the time they're wrong and you know even leaders at companies can hurt you more than your physician does with the way they treat you you know we could have done undue harm to our family during that time most people don't stay married most people fall apart but it's only by the grace of god that we're together we're stronger i am so blessed as a man to have found a lady that is so much stronger than I am. And I told you my story. I can't measure her story because it was, it's the mom. This, this is why I do what I do. This is my why. I was given so much love. It overflowed. I didn't know where money came from. People helped us, you know, move on, move to a new house, keep food in the, the pantry, bring over food. I mean, this was like months and months and months of love and kindness, and you cannot get through that without it changing you. And it's either going to change you by being a billboard of negativity or being a billboard of positivity. And you, it, it's your choice. It's your choice what the end of your life is going to be. The saddest thing is that I get to the end of my life and I don't see my baby girl in heaven because of something I chose to do. Not because of God. God doesn't throw us out. We leave. We leave. And it's not anger that we feel, but a sheer of loss. Liddy taught me what God feels when sin's full born and it breeds death. Liddy taught me what it's like for a, a father to watch a child, no matter what, go away. And Liddy taught me what it feels like to have children being adopted into the family because of sheer love. This is my why. And this is why I do what I do. Because people need to feel love. Yeah, thank you.
thank you for trusting us with that story. Um, I couldn't help but notice that you named her Lydia Grace. And the name Lydia means beautiful, noble one, and grace. It, it made me think about my own last daughter, the last of six, whose name is Anna Karras, which literally means grace upon grace. There's a lot of grace here, Lane. And I think that's something that as we think about I love you, period, that grace is something we need to dive into. On another episode, I think it's something we're going to continue to dive into. I think you cannot have, I know you cannot have I love you, period, without grace. It's something that if we really, you said something on the last podcast, and you think you know God, you don't. It's the idea that there's certain attributes of God, like his love, like his grace, that we may think we know, but we don't. And the more that we explore it, the more that he fills our lives with it, the situation you just shared, the the grace that was unique to that situation that you and your family experienced. And I think that's part of, it's the huge part of I Love You, period, and how we extend that to other people. First, we've got to have that ourselves. We've got to understand how loved we are the grace with which God sees us and the grace that he gives us, grace that is scandalous to most people. It's not popular. Like, you know, we have grace for certain things, but grace for that, grace for that person, the answer is yes. Whether we like it or not, yes. So I love, I love the name. I know it is so personal to you. And I know that, that we're not alone, that Lane's story is not, it's not in a silo. There are so many people who will hear this story and it will resonate. And we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear it. We want to talk to you. We want to love on you. We want to showcase what God has done for all of us. We want to love you with a period on the end. So I'm so grateful, Lane, that you were willing to share that. And I, don't, I think I speak for everybody when I say we don't care about the sniffling. That was authentic and we appreciate it. So thank you for that. You know, there's a lot of people out there that have been abandoned by somebody you thought was a friend, you thought was a family member, you thought it was a sacred space, and it ended up being the opposite. And the striking thing is it probably was always not a sacred space to begin with, and you find out who that person truly is. We have all been abandoned by something. And so the abandoned, abandoned, the hurt, the hurt, the angry make others angry. And to know that God is simply trying to stop and use you as a wall or use you as a bridge, use you as a light to shine in that darkness, to stop the flood, to ease the pain, and to find more love and loss. You know, you can see this all over. You wake up every day, you see it. Turn on the TV, you see it. You turn on the radio, you hear it. You read something, you read it. It's all in the news. It's all over our faces. Everybody has been hurt. We are all walking, scarred, looking for love. And Dean, I, I appreciate you. Um, 
giving me that impromptu question. <laughs> and it was going to come. But it's for a higher cause. It's not for us. Your pain is not for you. It's for you to get through so you can help other people and for us to better everyone's lives around us. And just imagine life. If CEOs, executives, presidents, owners of companies, big and small, owners of families, big and small, leaders of institutions and churches, big and small, actually said this constantly, the world would change. Well, thank you, Lane, for sharing your story part of your story today. We're going to continue this journey, this I love you period journey. And again, I want to remind everybody, this is this is not ours to hold on to. We are simply mirrors reflecting the love and the brilliance that God wants to give to all of us, the grace. So we thank you for listening I think it's going to be exciting to see what God does through this. And as always, we invite you to live life to the fullest, but live that life through love with a period on the end.